uh, do what I'm supposed to do and turn my microphone on when I'm supposed to, it would be fantastic. All right, so good e or good evening. <laughs> wow. Good morning, Life Church. Let's start all this over again. Let me just walk up. <laughs> good morning, Life Church. There we go. That's a little bit better. <laughs> Thanks for being here uh, this morning. It really is great to have uh, each one of you. Thank you for choosing to be a part of what God's doing here at, uh, here at Life Church Utah. And uh, there, are, there are a lot of things that God is doing. Just talking to a family uh, after uh, first service and what God is doing in their life, uh, in their children's lives. It's just really beautiful and cannot wait to be able to share some of those stories. We have dedications coming up next week. Super excited for that and uh, just some really cool things that the Lord's up to. And uh, we're currently in a series, uh, Teach Us to Pray. And so as a staff, we're thinking, uh, well, if, if we're going to have a series that says teach us to pray, there need to be opportunities to pray, right? And obviously, every Sunday morning, there are those opportunities. Wednesday nights are those as well. Uh, but we are going to be adding now on the Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. here in the auditorium. If you have a job or you are to stay at home or whatever that allows you to be able to be here between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Wednesday mornings, we would invite you to come be a part. Just be uh, in here, a very informal, unstructured time of prayer, uh, but it's important for us as the people of God to pray, and so we're going to provide some of that opportunity here at Life Church. So again, Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. starting this Wednesday, and we'll, we'll have um, prayer requests up here of things that come in during the week. You can pray for one another that way, and also just uh, a moment together to be with the people of God for those who are here, 11 a.m., 1 p.m., Wednesdays until Jesus returns. So uh, we'll see. Um, but uh, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Uh, I know you were just uh, standing on your feet, but go ahead and stand to your feet again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. We are in the series, uh, uh, Teach Us to Pray. And the Lord's Prayer is where we finally are. It's taken us two weeks uh, to get to this point where we're actually into the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer as long as it takes to get through the Lord's Prayer, uh, however long that is. Uh, we have a plan, and I've got it structured, but I've already messed up that structure already behind the scenes. And so we're only going to get through one word today, literally one word in the Lord's Prayer today. But what I wanted to do is every Sunday, uh, as long as we are in the series, uh, we are going to say the Lord's Prayer together. We don't often do that here at Life Church, where we have a liturgical moment where we all join in and, uh, and say the same thing. But we're going to do that, and we'll have the words up there for you. Uh, this week, we're going to be reading from the New English Translation, the NET. That's one that I'm kind of stuck in right now. Uh, but uh, we will be reading from other versions to go along uh, with uh, the series, because it's nice to hear other versions. How many of you memorized the Lord's Prayer in good old King James? right? King James. And that's fantastic. It's super easy to memorize in King James because the language is very different than, uh, than our today's uh, world. Uh, so we're going to do this out of the New English translation today. So uh, it says here, so pray this way. And then all of us together would say, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
And that is the Lord's Prayer as, uh, as recorded in the book of Matthew. Now, some of you are looking at one another going, wait, 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 wait. I memorize and there's a little bit more to, uh, to the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I'm actually going to talk about that at the end of the series as to why it's not in this, uh, this version of it so that we can all be clear. Nothing weird is going on, okay? It's not like, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, just the way we've memorized it, uh, there might be some nuance to that. So, uh, so this is the Lord's Prayer as recorded in the book of Matthew. And you can go ahead and be seated. Next week we'll have a, next week is Mother's Day, so we won't be on our uh, prayer series. But the following week we'll be on our prayer series and read from a different uh, different version. So there's a few things uh, to me that come out as we read the Lord's Prayer, and hopefully as uh, as we get through this uh, as we get through the series, uh, we'll see some things about the Lord's Prayer that you've never seen before. Right? That is uh, one of the joys of digging into over a lengthy period of time uh, when we when we get into Scripture like this, is we start to see things differently. Stuff that we thought we knew, sometimes it's changed just a little bit and tweaked because we've forgotten something or we've never dug deeply into a particular area. But something about the Lord's Prayer that jumps out at me pretty quickly is, uh, number one, it's very simple. It is not a complicated prayer. And for some reason, we think that we need to have complicated prayers or that if we have a simple prayer, somehow it's not as mature and I need to learn to pray better. This is what Jesus told us to pray, right? This is how we're to pray. And it is a very, very simple prayer. So that that lets me know that if I've got a simple prayer before the Lord, that he hears it, right? He's not going, well, that's not complicated enough for me, so I'm not going to answer that prayer. (laughs) You didn't use theological terms. I'm not going to answer that prayer. That's not at all the way that God is. And then the second, uh, second part of this is actually that there are two parts to the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you picked up on that. There's the first part of it, um, and if you want to go back, uh, back a slide, uh, the first part of it is our Father in heaven. May your name be honored. May, uh, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth. as in. So it's all directed toward, uh, toward our Father who art in heaven, right? It's all directed away from us. Then the second part of the prayer, though, does what? And go ahead and go to the next one. Um, the next one, so give us today our daily bread. Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors, right? Uh, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. So it goes from being pushed outwards to this idea that there is an inward sort of change that begins to change, a circumstantial change around us. So when we pray... Just as Jesus showed us here, there is two-way communication happening here when we pray. God is not a God who's up in heaven going, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to, right? God is up in heaven. And when we kneel to prayer, when we stand to prayer, when we lay down to pray, which I don't encourage you to do, especially in your bed, right? Because you're going to fall asleep immediately. Uh, But when we get in that position of prayer, in that moment of prayer, when we pray, we know that we direct our prayer to him, but there is also this uh, transactional, relational relationship that happens between us and God. And that is something that we've got to keep in mind every time that we pray. Um, and the, this, this two-part division actually starts with one word, and that word there is, and, and go ahead and go back to the other one. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping back and forth. I'm, I'm sending our tech team into uh, hissy fits in the background. Um, it starts off with this idea, hissy fit. Whoever says hissy fit again? What kind of word is that? <laughs> but, 
So the, the two-part division actually starts with one word, and that one word is our Father, and it starts actually with the word Father, right? This, this idea that there is a Father that is heaven, or that is in heaven. Our Father, and it gives, gives us pause in this moment to reflect on what it means to be our Father. Now, when Jesus uh, shared this prayer with his disciples, uh, Jesus was living in the first century Roman world. He did not live in the United States of America. Uh, he did not live in Europe. Uh, he, didn't, he, he lived in first century Roman culture. And so this idea of father definitely gave pause to the people who were living in that time. The reason for that was uh, the experience of people in the Roman culture and the Greek culture before that uh, was not of a God like this. And uh, is it okay if I, if I delve just for a moment into uh, mythology? Okay, I, I'm going to, well, I'm going to go there anyway. So here we go. We're going to dig into a little bit of Roman and Greek mythology because we need to understand this, to understand why what Jesus was saying was so revolutionary for the people who were listening to him. So one of the most significant Greek legends uh, of the gods is the legend of Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus um, maybe is known from the prequel movie to the Alien uh, series, right? Prometheus. Uh, but Prometheus was a god. And in the days of old when, when man was just, you know, kind of made, um, Prometheus took fire from heaven because man didn't have fire, so took fire from heaven and gave humanity the ability to have fire. Now, Zeus, who was the main god, he was not very happy with Prometheus. And so what he did, because Prometheus was trying to help humans, uh, Zeus decided to punish Prometheus. So the way he punished Prometheus was uh, he chained him to a rock in the middle of the Adriatic Sea where he was tortured with heat and thirst during the day and then cold at night. And even more than that, Zeus prepared a vulture that would eat the liver of Prometheus every day. Then that liver would grow back at night, only to be eaten out again by that same vulture the next day, and on and on and on through eternity. How's that for a lovely, wonderful God? <laughs> right? It's terrible. And so for the Roman culture and the Greek culture before them, as, as these kind of mythologies of these gods were given... It was basically out there that if you helped humans, you would be punished. That's the kind of gods that they had. Humans were always to be kept down, no relationship with them, other than relationships that would be good for the gods, right? Other than those that would uh, somehow benefit the gods in some way. That's the culture that Jesus was steeped in. That was the culture that was all around them. And so when Jesus speaks to this world now a prayer like this that says, Our Father, it is so radically different than the world in which he was living. Now, our world today is just a little bit different than that. We don't necessarily have the same 
polytheistic ideas of the gods like Prometheus and Zeus and Saturn and Hermes and all those other things like that, right? But we do have uh, television and Instagram and Facebook and NFL and Major League Baseball, right? We have all these other kinds of names, right, that try to take the place of God, and that's what's happening in our world today. But Jesus presents a radically new vision of who God is. Now, this word, our Father, um, probably had at its root the idea of Abba. And the word Abba in Aramaic is a very intimate term uh, for father, meaning daddy. Um, so, so in essence, Jesus is giving permission for us to refer to God as our father. But more than that, not just a, a father figure, but as daddy. Now, how does that make you feel when you think about starting off your prayers? Our daddy, who is in heaven, holy is your name. It somehow, it feels a little bit too intimate, and yet this is the invitation that Jesus is giving to us to pray when we pray to our Father who is in heaven. Now, if I'm thinking about how Jesus should have asked his disciples to begin to pray, the place I'm going to go is to the powerful side of God. Right, and so for me, it would have been a little bit more comfortable if Jesus would have uh, gone into this whole realm of, you know, starting off the prayer, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. Right, that's, I mean, we're comfortable with that in a weird sort of way, <laughs> right? Um, you know, even uh, the great and powerful eternal being, that's how we want it addressed, or by the power of Grayskull. <laughs> Little He-Man uh, right back there, 1980s, great cartoon, all right. He chose instead a term that showed God as being radically different than the culture around. He chose instead to reveal God as Abba, Father. This God who desires an intimate relationship with his people and his creation. Um, immediately when we start talking about this, uh, we probably go to pictures of our own father, right? And so that brings up a problem for some of us, because the picture of our father is maybe not an incredibly healthy picture, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who had terrible father, right? That's not going to be helpful to anybody at this moment. And in my own life, I've got this weird, strange mix of a good picture of my father and a very poor picture of my father. For the first like 13 years of my life, I really genuinely had a fantastic picture of my father who is in my house, <laughs> right? And uh, he was present. He was with me. He was part of the Boy Scouts with me, and he was a coach for me, and you know, all of those things helped me work on the car and all of those things up to about the age of 14. After that, my dad, alcohol, began to take control of his life, and he became more distant, began breaking promises, and all of that. I choose to remember this side of my dad to give me a great picture of what our father should be in heaven. And for those of us who don't have a great picture of what our dad should be, where do we look? Well, honestly, we look to Jesus because Jesus did everything that he saw his father doing. And so that's where we look to find this picture of our father who is in heaven. So 
how can this God, the creator of everything, the creator of all things that we see, how can he be referred to as father? And was Jesus the first one to kind of bring this picture of God uh, like this? Well, surprisingly, no. Jesus isn't the first one. Sometimes we think he is, but he really isn't. And for us, we have to go all the way back to the book of Exodus to see something really unique in all of creation when it came to the gods, right? And all of creation to, to realize how does the God of the Bible reveal himself? And in Exodus chapter four, if you want to go ahead and uh, turn there now, uh, again, I want to encourage you, please bring your Bibles. Uh, you've got your uh, smartphones and devices and things like that. Look as I am reading through the scripture because I want you to become comfortable with the word of God so that you don't just take my word for it, but you yourself study it, dig into it, look into the word and what it says so that you can be comfortable looking at it uh, yourself. So Exodus chapter 4. For those who've been in the church, this will be a little bit of review. Those maybe who are brand new to this whole faith thing and maybe your first time uh, in church, uh, we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Moses. Now, Moses is this kind of, uh, th this name that might be known widely in our world. There are three, uh, th three world religions that somehow kind of go into uh, this whole idea of Moses and uh, even Abraham and others. Um, Moses uh, was born in Egypt under slavery, escaped from there. Actually, he fled from there because he had killed somebody, fled, and he's now in the desert. He's spending 40 years in the desert, wondering what's going on with his own people back in Egypt, and things are getting really rough for Egypt. And so God speaks to Moses, says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt because you have a task to set my people free. And you're the one that I'm going to use to bring my people out of captivity and slavery. Um, and we can miss something really, really important in Exodus uh, when we read through this story because of the way that God reveals himself and wants to be revealed to the nation of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 4, uh, Moses is having this conversation with God. God, you don't have it all figured out. <laughs> Why are you sending me? The people aren't going to listen to me. The, the Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. So uh, we got to figure out another way. But this is what God says. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. You must say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. So thus says God Yahweh. This, thus says God who is present. Thus says the Lord. Israel is my son, my firstborn. And I said to you, Pharaoh, let my son go so that he may serve me. In this moment, when God is revealing himself not only to Moses, not only to the nation of Israel, but also to the pagan nation of Egypt at the time, he reveals himself as father. God wants to be known to us as father. He is the one who initially gives that permission for us to be able to look at him as the people of God and say, God, you are our father. It's like he's saying to Moses, Moses, I am your father, <laughs> right? A little Darth Vader moment, right? So we have, we have this, this permission that we have as the people of God by God himself to say, God, you are our father. God, you are the one that we can intimately call daddy. You are the one that we can call out to in our time of need. 
Now, the great thing is that in God revealing himself intimately as God our Father, it's not just intimacy that God is concerned with. Because look at the context in which he reveals himself as Father, uh, you know, as, uh, as Israel is my son. The context is freedom from slavery. The context is revolution. The context is this idea that I am setting my people free from slavery. And then ultimately we see this as uh, setting free from slavery, from sin. And so not only does God reveal himself as father way back in, in the book of Exodus in slavery from that or freedom from slavery then, there is a new exodus that God our father wants us to experience through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the revolutionary way that God reveals himself as father to us. Not just intimately as father, right? But as a revolutionary father as well. The very first words of the Lord's Prayer, which is father, contains within it not just intimacy, but also revolution. And to see God in this light reveals much about what he wants to accomplish in our world. And as the prayer continues, right, this prayer which is lifted up first and foremost outward up to God, but it immediately turns back to the needs that people have. And so we are, when we bow before our God, when we bow before our King, we bow before our Father, when we kneel down before Him, we're expressing this praise to Him, but there is also that we take upon ourselves the needs of those who are around us. We also carry those burdens. The Bible says we're to bear one another's burdens, right? And so we carry these things into the presence of God whenever we pray. So if as the people of this living creator God, we are the ones that respond to the needs of the world around us. How many of you know that there's brokenness? I mean, you know that there is sin on display every time that we turn on the news, every time you look at faith. I mean, it is just there everywhere staring us in the face. And every time we bow in prayer before God, there's an intimacy, but boy, there is a revolution taking place. Because every time we pray, we are picturing this, this, this freedom from slavery in our lives this freedom from slavery for those that we are praying for and asking God to bring them to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is that revolution. And when we discover that we want to pray, that we need to pray this prayer right over and over again. Father who is in heaven, your name is holy. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, there are needs around us very practical needs. There are spiritual needs. There is need for forgiveness in God. We are bringing our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers to you because you've allowed us to call you father, not only in intimacy, but in revolution. I love what N.T. Wright says about prayer. He says, prayer is the rhythm of standing in the presence of the pain of the world and kneeling in the presence of the creator of the world of bringing those two things together in the name of Jesus and by the victory of the cross in all of this through calling God our Father. This is the power of the Lord's prayer. 
Now, not only here, uh, when we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, uh, and not only way back in the book of Exodus where we're talking about that, but in Jesus' own life, right toward the end of his life, how is he dealing with all the struggles, uh, all the pain, all the things that he knows is coming in his life right before the crucifixion? How is he dealing with this? He's dealing with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. I know we've talked about this before, but he's dealing with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26 um, Verse 39 and 42, he says this, says, going a little further, he threw himself down with his face to the ground and he prayed, almighty, incredible, powerful God. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but what you will, Father. And again, it says he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. So we see in Jesus' life at the moment when he could throw it all away, right? In this moment when he could give up on on whatever this plan is that's leading to pain and suffering in his own life, he could give up on that, but what does he do? He turns to the intimacy of God in that moment and says, my father, how many of you have uh, been, found yourself in a position before where you've wanted to give up? When you've wanted to just kind of throw in the towel, like, this is too much for me. I can't handle this anymore. Be like Jesus. In that moment, you say, my father, I am str- I'm a struggle bus. <laughs> this is tough for me right now, father. And then what does Jesus do? And this is the revolutionary part of it. He says, not my will, but God, your will be done. Right? This is the God that we serve, the God who we, we can refer to, our Father, who is this term of intimacy, this term of closeness, this trust and openness. We need to wrap our hearts around this reality. For those of you who don't think that God cares, this is what Jesus is talking about. Our Father, our Daddy. In the same breath, this, this same God of intimacy is also this incredible God, this father of revolution, that he doesn't leave things the way that they are. It's not like a father just sits back passively and just says, hey, thank you for the love, right? This is a God who is deeply involved in your life and the way that this world is going. This is a term of revolution. This is purpose. This is deliverance. So there's a tension there, Right? We need the God of intimacy through our Father. We need the God of revolution in our life, our Father. And when we pray, this is what's happening. This is the God who is revealed as both intimate and the God of revolution. And just like those, when Jesus was sharing this prayer for the very first time to that crowd of people there at the Mount, or at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, they took pause Right? They, they were struck by this in a way that they had never been struck before. Our Father. And take a deep breath. Really, God, can, can I really refer to you as Father? Can I really refer to you as, as Daddy? There's a pastor up north a little ways, part of a group of uh, ministers that, I, uh, that I'm with about every month. And uh, that's how he prays. He starts off his prayers, many of them. He says, Daddy, I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> 
And I need you to help me out because I am screwing up left and right. So, Father, help me make it through this time. This is the God that we can turn to in the midst of our struggles, right in the middle of our greatest victories, in the middle when we need revolution to be in our life. Jesus invites us to refer to him as our Father. And remember that our Father is a clear picture of God revealed in Jesus. We find out in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. You wonder how the Father acts? Look to Jesus. And Jesus himself said, I'm only doing the things and I'm only saying the things that I see and hear my Father doing. If you want to know what the Father is like, look to Jesus. If you don't have a good picture of a father in your life, look to Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you see the father. When you see Jesus, you see intimacy, but you don't just see intimacy, you see power and revolution. And that happens every time we pray. Our father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And daddy, while we're in this position where I'm giving you praise, there are needs in my life. So, Father, I've got a need for daily bread, daily sustenance. Lord, I, I have things that I need forgiveness for, and in fact, there are things that I need to forgive other people for. And Lord, help me when I am tempted, lead me to deliverance, keep me from the evil one. This is the intimate God that we can pray to. And when we pray, there's power because God is a God of revolution. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. In just a few moments, we're going to uh, celebrate communion together. What we're going to sing about is what we believe, right? Because our God is the everlasting God. Our Father, right, is this everlasting God. He is the all-creating one. He is the one who reveals himself through his Son, Jesus Christ, the one who fills us through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe. And so as we worship this morning, let it be that when we raise our hands, I'm encouraging, right, we, we encourage this investment in worship. We lift our hands to him. Father, you're the one that we look to. We see you in intimacy and revolution, and I'm going to invite you to worship with us this morning.
this truly is our belief in our heart. And God, today we recognize that we can call on you as our Father. Lord, I love it that we stand even though we are incomplete. Lord, you are complete. And God, you make us whole. We can't do this on our own. Lord, we praise you today. And we thank you, God, for your goodness. In uh, Luke chapter 22, where we're going to read from this morning uh, for, the, uh, uh, for communion, uh, Jesus was gathering with his disciples. This is right before the Garden of Gethsemane that we read just a few minutes ago. And uh, remember, the crucifixion hadn't happened yet, right? The, the disciples had no idea what was coming. They thought Jesus would, at you know, some point rise to ascendancy and power on the throne and that all was going to be great. But Jesus saw something very different. The revolution that Jesus was taking part in, something radically different than the culture around him. And so it says this, now when the hour had come, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You're like, what? We don't, okay, we don't get this, Jesus, but go on. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It says, then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This says, then he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're going to hang out here for just a second. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Jesus is standing right before them. When you remember something, it means that it something in the past, right? And so I'm sure the disciples are going, ah, Jesus, we don't fully get what's going on here. You're talking about suffering. You're, you're talking about, I'm not going to do this again until we, we eat again in the kingdom of God. And now we're supposed to remember you. We don't get it. Now we have the ability from the future, right? In essence, looking back on, oh, this is what it means. Jesus, you were going to die on the cross. And the revolution that's starting right in this moment when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, giving a picture of the revolution so different than all of the other tyrannical rules that had grown up underneath, uh, you know, the Roman rule and people tried to take over in Greek and uh, Babylon and all this stuff. Jesus is saying this revolution looks very different. The revolution looks like the cross. The revolution looks like God revealed in the Son, Jesus giving himself for his people. This is that picture. And so Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself for us. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We know, God, that we fail. We know, Lord, that we are sinful. And yet, somehow, some way, by what you did on the cross, it provides for us hope. It provides for us forgiveness and healing. And Lord, I thank you that your word says that by your stripes, we are healed. And this bread that represents your broken body, we remember. And Lord, the joy that we have is that we're able to look back on the cross and we know the price that was paid. But Lord, being part of your family, Lord, there is hope because you bring to us healing. And maybe there are those who are within the congregation this morning, maybe some that are online, and you need a touch from God Almighty in your physical body. Maybe something going on with your blood that needs a healing. Maybe there's something happening uh, in your back or something uh, of a mental uh, uh, incapacity that's happening. You can't think right. And you're saying, I need Jesus to touch me. Lord, I thank you that we have this as a blessing from you. And God, right now on this side of eternity, it might be incomplete, but that healing is ours in Jesus Christ. And so we are so grateful that your body was broken for us, Jesus. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We can partake together. And it says in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And again, we have the same picture where Jesus is proclaiming something that hasn't happened yet. And the disciples are wondering, what do you mean your blood poured out? It makes no sense. I love the Bible when it says in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, I don't have it all together, neither do you. We're a bunch of imperfect people gathering together, worshiping a perfect God. We stand in moments like this and we recognize that intimacy we have with the Father, the revolution that happened on the cross, right, that totally radically transformed our future way back then. And he says, this is a new covenant that new intimacy and that new revolution that Jesus was bringing through the cross. And so, Jesus, we are so grateful. 
that even though it costs so much that you chose to give yourself for us. We don't understand it. We don't deserve it. And yet, Lord, you still chose to do that. And so, Jesus, thank you for the cup that represents your blood of a new covenant, of a new relationship with the Father where he he gives us a new spirit, gives us a new heart, and changes us dramatically, transformationally because of the cross of Christ. And Jesus, we're so grateful for that. So, Jesus, thank you for forgiving us and making us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. God, we recognize that own tension in our life where the now and the not yet happens, where these two worlds uh, collide, where heaven and earth are overlapping in the season. So, God, you have called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you. And so, Jesus, every step that we take towards you makes us more like you, and every step towards you makes us more like the Father because you reveal the Father exactly as he is. So, Lord, we thank you that there's an intimate relationship with you. There's a revolutionary relationship with you. And so, God, help us to hold those two things as we leave from this place today. Give us boldness. Give us confidence as your people. Lord, that you are with us through difficulty. God, you are with us in our victories. And I thank you, God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory. I pray your blessing upon your people. May they walk with the confidence of the Holy Spirit within them and boldness, God, to live for you. Lord, we love you this day. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Uh, Don't forget, if you want more information about child dedications happening next week, uh, make your way to the main office at this time. God bless you. See you in a few minutes. Jesus